Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Passing Shot. Naomi Osaka is back as women's world number one. Andy Murray announces singles return in Cincinnati. And Federer Nadal join the ATP Player Council, along with Jürgen Meltzer. Kim, what a week it has been in Canada with plenty happening on and off court in the Rogers Cup and Coupe Rogers. The US Open is inching ever closer and we're getting ready for what should be two very entertaining battles between Serena Williams and Bianca Andreescu and Rafa Nadal and Daniel Medvedev. Whilst you're getting ready to celebrate your birthday, is that correct? It is, yeah. I'm uh, turning the grand old age of 28 tomorrow, Joel. <laughs> so I'm hoping Rafa can win because that'd be quite a nice birthday, Early birthday present. present. Yeah, I've I've already been to the pub this this lunchtime and I've stuffed my face with roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. Um, I'm back, you know, home from Portugal, so I'm kind of trying to get the most of the kind of English classics food selection whilst I'm here. Um, so yeah, celebrations underway. And, uh, well, we'll just see who else will be celebrating, I suppose, out in Canada. We've got the finals coming up uh, in a few hours uh, because I'm otherwise occupied tonight celebrating. We're having to record a bit earlier than than we would have liked. But um, let's let's start with the women's final. Bianca Andreescu versus Serena Williams. I mean, Serena bidding for her fourth Rogers Cup. But I think, really, we're all talking about Bianca Andreescu. Andreescu, who has not played a lot of tennis this season, but the tournaments she has played in, she's performed exceptionally well in front of her home crowd as well. And, you know, she's gone beyond what I think, you know, she's gone beyond my expectation. I think she's gone beyond Canada's expectation. And she's proving, you know, she won Indian Wells and, you know, she's proving that she is a name for the future. That was not a flash in the pan moment. And yeah, she competes very well on a, on a hard court. I mean, yeah, she's kind of proving that she's the real deal, isn't she? Because, I mean, she she's only played one event between Miami and Toronto, which I think was the Roland Garros, but she retired, was it in the first or second round? So she actually hasn't lost a match um, since, I think, Acapulco. And um, she's won two of the five tournaments she's actually completed so far this year. Got an amazing win-loss record, 37-4. and four. And to reach the final in your first tournament back from being out for months with an injury is pretty mad. And she's actually seeking to become the first winner of the Rogers Cup since Faye Urban in 1969, who defeated Vicky Byrne in an all-Canadian final. Have you heard of either of those two names, Joel? I've not heard of either of those names. I wonder if any of our listeners have ever, ever any, have heard of any of those names. But um, yeah, it's definitely, you know, we kind of have already spoken about Canadian tennis is in a real boon period at the moment, both on the men and women's side. You know, Andre Eskew in her first round had a very good entertaining match with, with Eugenie Bouchard, who, you know, again, was in that would say a similar position to Andreescu a few years ago, you know, when she had, you know, she did so well at Wimbledon and Andreescu is really kind of taking on that, that mantle and is proving to be a very good player on a tennis court. And, you know, she's, I think she's ruffling feathers and she's taking out players, you know, fan favourites, she's taking them out and with her kind of determination and attitude and yeah, she's, she is announcing herself on, on the big stage. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a danger that we get too carried away, you know, like we have with other players. And then, you know, she is still like the underdog in a way, like it's going to be different once she gets to the top, say, 10, top five 
to see, you know, if she's going on to court as the favourite with all the pressure on her, if that would change anything. But while she's at the moment this sort of plucky rising star, you know, she's got all the confidence and she can just go for it. I mean, she's actually had a really tough route to the final. You know, she obviously played Bouchard in the first round, but she's had Kazakina, Burton, Spliskova and Kenin. So pretty, you know, tough matches. She's played a lot of tennis. And if we look at Serena Williams, you know, she's had, I would say, you know, a slightly easier draw. I mean, she had Merton's first round, Alexandrova. Um, she had Buskova in the semi, but, you know, she did have Osaka in the quarterfinal. But, of course, Osaka isn't really in, in the form that, you know, she has been. We know she can she can give us so I would say that you know Serena I would say Andreescu for me is the favourite for tonight I think she's going to be more in form and in tune with her game she's had to fight more throughout the week to get to where she is I think she's just going to be so determined to win you know in a, with her home crowd I I just I think it might go three but I'm going to edge I'm going to say that Andreescu is going to get the edge tonight what do you think Joel I mean my only worry is that Andreescu has played a lot of tennis this week. You know, Bouchard, she won in three sets. Kasatkina was three sets. Burton's Pliskova also, she won in, in three sets. So I wonder, and, and also actually in that Pliskova match, she looked like she was a little bit injured. So I do wonder if she's going to go into the final fully fit. And I think that is actually maybe where the crowd will come into play and kind of really kind of obviously G her up and give her that, that energy she needs. Because, you know, I think, there is already, you know, obviously she's you know, playing great tennis at such a young age, but I think there's already that question mark on is injuries going to be something that she's going to have to deal with throughout her career? Because it seems that, you know, she's had these injuries early, early on. And um, yeah, we, I don't want that to continue. But um, yeah, it, it looks like it might be it might be a factor. And, um, you know, looking at her kind of matches, it almost kind of reminds me of like a, a young Andy Murray in the sense that, you know, she's obviously very talented and her kind of mind is telling her, you know, how she wants to play. But at the same time, her body at the moment might not, you know, be up to speed. It, it might be a little, you know, like one step behind. Yeah, she's broken onto the scene very quickly this year, hasn't she? So I guess it's like maybe the intensity and the level that she's playing at is just, you know, gone up a gear and then her body is having to cope with that. But I mean, most players are going to have injury troubles you know throughout the career but I guess what I feel you're saying is that we don't want her to become another like Del Potro where you know the career is just plagued with injuries and you know it's just going to prevent her from maybe reaching her full potential so that that sort of remains to be seen where you just give her good vibes and energy and hopefully you know she won't be limited by these by these things I mean going back to Serena Williams she played Osaka in the quarterfinals their first meeting since that US Open final of last year and actually it was quite underwhelming wasn't it, it, it nothing of of note really happened it was a a straight sets victory sort of pretty pretty standard and uh I mean it's I think Serena's probably very grateful that she got through that one. You know, she needs to be playing these tournaments, doesn't she? She can't just go into Grand Slams cold without having played the tour events uh, in advance. I think, you know, the last three Slam finals that she um, she's played, you know, has proven that. And um, so I think she'll be so pleased to have got to a, a tour final um, to get more matches under her belt. And I think even if she loses today, I think going into the US Open, like obviously this will be quite significant, I think. We all kind of saw her get to the Wimbledon final. And I think the main takeout from fans, from you know the press was Serena Williams needs more. She needs more time on a tennis court. She can't turn up to Grand Slams anymore cold and expect to you know walk it to the final and, and win. And you know the fact that she's in the final is great because you know she's really going to, go into the US Open with some momentum behind her you know obviously with Cincinnati as well it's it's kind of great to see and you know it, so it's also kind of giving us those matchups the between the greats of the game versus the up and comers that you know I think really kind of captivates the crowd and Serena Williams versus Bianca Andreescu again is one of those matchups where it's not happened before I don't really know what to expect I kind of agree with you I think Andreescu goes in arguably as the favorite I'm still going to say Serena Williams. You're going for Serena, in, though, still. I'm going to go Serena in three. So, but it definitely could go either way. I'm seeing it as a three-set battle. But looking at our kind of other parts of the women's tournament this week, I think one of the other 
big talking points was around the women's world number one ranking where although Naomi Osaka obviously lost to Serena Williams she had the little bit of the silver lining in that she returned to women's world number one yeah a bit crazy I mean (laughs) Barty has held it what for eight weeks since winning Roland Garros or no since winning Birmingham she became world number one I think it was. I think it was Birmingham. But uh, Barty kind of lost to Sophia Kennan in her first match since Wimbledon. For me, that wasn't a surprise when I looked at the draw. I, it was either going to be Kennan or Sue Weishay. And I thought, oh, both of those are not ideal matches, you know, for your first match on a hard court. Um, so I wasn't surprised about that. And yeah, as a result, she's she's no longer world number one. Osaka is back to the top. Which is a bit weird because Asako's not been in great form. She's had shocking <laughs> results of late. So I feel like she's not playing like a world number one. And, you know, going into the US Open title defence, if she's going to be top seed defending champion, well, I mean, at this rate, I definitely don't see her defending her title. But it's just the way the, the points system works and the rankings. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit odd, isn't it? It is. And what's also odd is Cincinnati next week. Ash Barty is still the top seed, I think. Um, so even though she's not um, world number one, but uh, yeah, I find it it's a bit odd because I think for Osaka, you know, we saw on Twitter, I think last week, she came out with this big message saying that, you know, she's really happy now, uh, almost like a weight is off her shoulders. You know, she admitted that she wasn't playing the best tennis as world number one. And now all of a sudden she's been giving this kind of, this uh i guess this expectation again it'll be interesting to see you know will it affect her in the same way i'm i'm not sure um and you know it almost is like does it come at a good time you know if we asked osaka today you know do you want to be women's world number one i wonder what her answer would be because genuinely at the moment i think like she'd just say actually i i wouldn't i i prefer just to be really happy and play play my tennis and not actually think about the ranking but um and, and almost, yeah, have someone else be as a number one. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a hot potato, isn't it? It seems to like people, do, they, do people really want to be number one? Or all the pressure that comes with it? You know, does it actually have an adverse effect on performances? You know, is Barty going to maybe pick it up a gear and and get, I, I don't know, it's just, it's almost like it, it does affect people, doesn't it? It really throws them off. And we've seen this so many times with players, especially in the women's game, they just can't handle the additional kind of pressure that it brings. I mean, I do think the media and all the sort of fuss around around it makes a big difference and adds to that. So I do think we should sort of focus less on this kind of number one ranking and just let players be and do their thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, come come a few six weeks down the line we could have Hallop number one Pliskova I mean this Pliskova it could just yeah. change at the drop of a hat almost you know it's it's kind of mad I mean we could even see Serena Williams if she yeah. continues yeah. you know if if she kind of gets to you know US Open final who knows maybe wins it we could see Serena you know get get back up there I uh, wouldn't that wouldn't be too surprising so yeah I certainly feel this season women's no, world number one ranking does does feel like a hot potato um and currently osaka is has got the potato in in her hand in her grasp i mean i do think obviously simona Halep, if she becomes world number one again i don't think it would have any effect on on her performance i don't think you know she's been number one for a while before she i think she's much more like mature and kind of i don't think that would that would affect her so i mean i personally would quite like to see Halep regaining the number one ranking you know she she retired didn't she in her quarterfinal in Toronto I think she said it was a lower leg injury so not not ideal kind of first match you know first tournament back from from Wimbledon but I think she just said that you know she really felt that she hadn't been on a court um in a couple of weeks when she kind of started back and I mean I don't personally see that as a sign that she's lost her like form that she had at Wimbledon I think she's just getting into her groove in time for the US Open and and hopefully won't be affected by injury and we can see you know what she can bring bring to the courts uh, in Flushing Meadows but for me she's probably the more likely candidate to kind of grab the the number one mantle again. Yes and I think you know the Rogers Cup for many of the top players it was their first match coming back 
post Wimbledon. You know, we spoke about Ash Barty, who kind of went out early on. You know, Simona Halep, you know, kind of got to the uh, quarterfinals, I think, pulled out, um, withdrew. But yeah, some other players kind of suffering from, you know, potential rustiness. I mean, Joe Conta lost to lost to Yastrzemska. That's a tough first round though, isn't it? I mean, there were so many yeah. tight matchups. There's always going to be top players losing early when you've got such a depth in on in the field. Yeah, definitely. And and also Angelique Kerber again, we, you know, we talk about, you know, her poor season almost continuing as well. I think, you know, she's parted ways. She parted ways with her coach earlier in the season and, you know, she's not rediscovered her form just yet. May you know maybe you know maybe she will in Cincinnati, but it seems to be um, yeah, it seems to be a bit of a a lull period for for Kerber. Absolutely, um, and as for, yeah, Conta, I feel like it's it's a shame that the, the draws are so tough and tight. And Conta, I feel is one of those sort of players that needs a good streak to, under her belt to really you know get into form. And I, I do worry that even in like Cincinnati. She might not, you know, she might lose again first round and I just feel like she might be a bit cold coming into the US Open. So I, I don't know, it's difficult, isn't it? I really want her to get a few matches under her belt. But when you get these like epic draws first round, it's it's crazy. So I don't know if she's planning on playing um, a tournament like directly the week before the US Open just to kind of get yep. more matches. That might be a, a sensible idea. But let's move on to the... Um, the men's side of the draw. So let's let's have a look. So we, as we mentioned earlier, Rafa Nadal, Daniel Medvedev. I think we all probably predicted Rafa would be in that final as, as the top seed. Uh, you know, this is a tournament that doesn't feature Federer or Djokovic. Uh, but Medvedev, he's proving to be the man of the moment. This is his second final in a row. He's only lost one of his last nine matches. So is he the most informed player at the moment on the men's tour? I would certainly say so. As you said, got to the Washington final and lost to Kyrgios. Now into, uh, now into the Coupe Rogers final, and he's just been dismantling his opponents on the way. He's almost kind of he's on the warpath. You know, he took out Carl Edmund six three six love Christian Garin, who's had a great season six three six three, and then he took apart Dominic Team, who I looked, uh, who I thought looked very good um, in his um, in his previous match against Marin Cilic, beat him six three six one, and then Karen Kachanov in the semi-finals, not dropped a set. Um, and yeah, he looks he looks very good. He looks very at home on a hard court. And I think the, the French the French crowd love him. I actually saw a little bit of a, I think in his post-match interview against, against Kachinov, um, I think everyone was surprised because he could actually speak a bit of French because I think his ah. coach is French. He's sponsored by Lacoste. And I think he's, based in I think he's potentially based in France as well so um he's certainly warming to the to the crowd as well and you know I think you know a lot of us you know as as kind of tennis fans know Medvedev as a sort of hot-headed character who has his you know who can have his moments on a tennis court like Nick Kyrgios but at the moment it's all clicking for him and he's he's getting up to a point where you know arguably he could be in the World Tour finals come come the end of the season. Yeah, he's at a career high ranking. Was he number nine in the world now? Um, and actually, you know, for me, I think Rafa's still the favourite, of course, for the final tonight. And I would say I think he could win, you know, fairly comfortably. However, they've never actually played before, which surprises me. You know, Medvedev has been on the tour for a good few years now, but he's never actually met Rafa. So I'm a bit less confident because of that. And, you know, he seems to have played, had the tougher draw come through more easily than Rafa has. You know, Rafa actually dropped a set to Fabio Fognini in the quarterfinals, had a close match with Dan Evans. um, And then, you know, hasn't actually had to play a semi-final because Gail Monfils withdrew. So I I don't know. I think it could be a really close battle tonight. And uh, yeah, I mean... We we will see, but it's just talking about Gael Monfils. You know, he withdrew from the semi final because he had to play his quarter final on the day of the semi final. So he would have had to have played two matches in one day as a result of the rain that that hits the tournament. Um, so not ideal, not ideal. I bet Roberto Bautista Gru is a bit <laughs> pissed off because he lost in a last set tie break, and then Monfils, you know, with, mm. withdraws from the semi. 
Yeah, he. I think Monfils injured his ankle a little bit in the second set and basically talked to his team after the match and decided it wasn't a good idea to play against Nadal. Um, but yeah, again, I think it does open up that debate. I think we've had earlier on in the season where, you know, if this doesn't, you know, if, if we're only having one semi-final, you know, paying spectators and all that, can can Bautista Agut take his place? I don't know. It just feels... I wonder if there's a, a debate there. I know, I know, Batista Agut lost, so he should, you know, technically be out of the tournament. But it just seems to be, it just seems a bit of a shame that you know you're expecting kind of two semi-finals and you only get kind of one. And then yeah, you you want to see Nadal on a court, and oh, it's a it's a walkover, so you're not going to get to see see him, which is a, a bit of a shame. But um, yeah, moving on, let's kind of talk about Medvedev a little bit more because in his semi-final came up against Karen Kachinov and something we haven't really spoken about, I think over kind of last few seasons, but definitely feels kind of a very topic, um, you know, topic of the moment is who is going to be kind of Russian, like number one going forward, because we've got these two players in Kachinov and Medvedev who are seemingly you know, playing, both playing very good tennis and similar, you know, similar, you know, similar age, similar rankings as well and I feel like they could have a bit of a they could have their own hot potato I think Kim <laughs> with the, yeah. the Russian world number or one ranking. Match. <laughs> I don't know if they get on I mean I hope they do but I know Medvedev is a bit fiery on, on court so I wonder if there's any bad blood between them but I mean I think you know they've actually had got quite a similar someone put on Twitter that they're both like the same age. They're both married. They're both the same height. They've both won four ATP titles or, or something. Um, they've had quite a similar like career almost up to now. Uh, so it's it's interesting because of the two leading Russian players on the men's side. And actually, weirdly, when they played in the semi-final, this is something that really I found strange and surprising. It was the highest level meeting between two Russian players in men's tennis in in the history of the game because i guess you know we think of russian tennis but it's mostly the women's what game that's produced there? the top russian players but so i was very astounded by that yeah because i was thinking you know even you know we talk about you know the era before with like marit safin i mean there were still some quality russian players alongside him you had you know david denko Kafelnikov, yeah, Igor Andreev was. Oh, you know, yeah. right. He was all right on his day, I guess. Um, well, so, I mean, a lot of the top Russian men. Well, I say top, but a lot of them have actually gone to Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan to get you know the funding. Like Denis Istomin, uh, love a good name drop for Denis. Um, he's <laughs> actually, you know, he's from Moscow, but he represents Uzbekistan because I assume it's so he could get funding from their tennis federation. So I think that has happened in some other cases as well, where players have had to kind of defect almost in order to get support. So it's interesting. But I mean, out of the two, who who would you see as being the one that's most likely to have the best career at the end of the day? Because at the moment, they're quite similar in terms of what they've achieved. But I feel like for me, Medvedev, just because he seems to have that kind of streak where he can really kind of go all out and, and play lights out, and although he has those moments where he's very volatile and gets angry and chucks his racket and can kind of maybe do a bit of a curios and sort of self-combust, I feel like when he puts it together, he's more dangerous than Hatchinov would be, who I sort of see as being a bit more of a friendly, nice, relaxed kind of character on the court. I, I'm i going to have to disagree there, Kim, because I, I think, I think Kachin, sorry, I think Medvedev is a sort of, dare I say, Dominic Team's serial 250-500 sort of player. Whereas I see, I think at, at the end of the day, dare I say, I think I see Kachanov doing better in the Grand Slams and I think he will go deeper. Medvedev may end up with more titles, but I see. I think I see a little bit more in, in Kachanov in the way he plays his game that makes me think, yeah, he could... He could in in the future go deeper than the Medvedev at Grand Slams, but um, yeah, at the moment certainly it's a you know Russian number one is very much up there. You know, I, it, it wouldn't surprise me actually if we see both of those players at the the World Tour Finals. Certainly in 
the top eight or, or there or thereabouts. Um, you know, Kachinov through to the semi-finals. He had a pretty brutal draw. He beat Favrinka, Ogier Aliasim in front of his home crowd, obviously, and then Alex Verev. So, um, you know, he's definitely an, another player who's playing some some great tennis. Maybe not as consistent this season as, as Medvedev, who's probably been you know, one of the more, one of the most, if not the most kind of consistent, um, you know, one of the most consistent players on the tour. So, um, yeah, but um, kind of speaking about kind of number one rankings, just kind of touching on kind of British tennis. Now I wrote this script, I wrote this point, Kim, before Cincinnati qualifying, but, uh, you know, looking at kind of the results in, the results in Canada, it did get me thinking, British number one ranking, is that a hot potato too as well between Carl Edmund, Cam Norrie and Dan Evans? Well, I, I guess. I mean, I think Evans is, is the man of the moment, isn't it? Isn't he? At the moment? I mean, he had that tight match against Rafa. You know, has done, you know, had the most form, I think, of late. I mean, Cam Norrie, though, did pretty well against, was it Dominic Team? He had, he had, did he have set points against Team? I thought he was playing Zverev. Um, was it Zverev? Oh, was it Zverev? Sorry. I don't know. But, um, it was, I think it was Zverev. I think it was Zverev, yeah. Um, so that was, you know, he had a set point. Hey, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because Kyle Edmund beat Nick Kyrgios this week, which was a pretty good uh, first round. I think, I mean, Kyrgios off the back of Washington title, you know, I was thinking, well, that's a bit of a tough, tough one for Kyle, but he beat him in straight sets. So there you go. So I think, yeah, they're all playing a bit, up and down are they at the moment? I mean, Cam Norrie it's just lost mm. to Dennis Kudler in qualifying for Cincinnati. Yeah, I so I know a bit, a bit of a annoyance. But yeah, I just, I really want Cam to have a really big, big run at a Grand Slam. I think, I think he needs that. I really mm. kind of want to see him going deep. Uh, you know, obviously Dan Evans reached the third round at Wimbledon. I think Cam just needs to should have go reached deeper the fourth round. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Dan Evans should have reached the fourth round. Yeah. I think I think certainly Dan Evans is capable of getting to second weeks of Grand Slams, and it's Consistently. not as much. It's not as much of a certainty, I think, for Carl Edmund at the moment. Given not at the moment, his form. yeah. I think he's got a tough draw as well in... He's um, playing uh, Medvedev first round in Cincinnati, so... Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> Unless total Medvedev is draw. like burnt out and tired or something. I, I, I just... Mm. it's Yeah, if that's why you, you need to... You know, as soon as you drop down the rankings, you get these terrible draws and it can be really hard to reassert yourself. So, um, but we'll get... <laughs> yeah, and, and who knows? Maybe Andy Murray will come back into the picture. So, yeah, oh, any of our listeners... Andy. Yeah, he could re- <laughs> regain his uh, British number one spot. I mean, we'll, we'll see, but... <laughs> any of our listeners, if you've got any ideas, who's going to be British number one come the end of the season? Is is it going to be Kyle Edmund or do you think it might be someone like Dan Evans? Who knows? Maybe it could be Andy Murray. You know, he's signed up for Cincinnati, which we're going to talk about later, and he's already signalled his attention to play the Asian swing as well. So we'll, we will see. Quick shout out to our um, our doubles man of the moment, Joe Salisbury reached the semi-finals of the Coupe uh, well not the Coupe Rogers no the Coupe Rogers the men are in the Coupe Rogers aren't they yeah <laughs> so Joe Salisbury semi-finalist uh, with Rajiv Ram so repping it for the British doubles uh, out in Canada this week yes uh, yeah so that wraps it up for our kind of recap of what's been going on in Canada uh, we'll be back after this quick ad break right we're back and it's time for Mysterious Player Oh, 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 mysterious player. I always feel like I should join in when you do that, Joel, but I don't want to steal your moment. It's your chance to shine. We're a highly professional podcast, but we can't afford our own jingles. So I I make the jingles. I make the jingles. Peter Andre would be proud of your rendition. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And mysterious player. So for uh, any new listeners to the show, this is our section where you guys can play along at home i'm going to give a, some clues to a tennis player of my choosing and we're going to see how long it takes for kim to guess who it is 
Uh, so this week, Kim, I'm gonna I've I've been trying to get my I'm gonna get my own back on you for the ridiculously hard questions you gave me in the in the half season quiz and i've tried to make this quite quite challenging um so here goes are you ready i i of course hit me go on go for it i was born on the 14th of june 1979 okay so that makes them 40 if my maths is correct that's still quite quite youthful okay next next clue I played with a single-handed backhand. Hmm. Okay. Next. I retired in June 2010 following a motorcycle crash that left me with two broken hands and a broken wrist. A motorcycle accident? Oh. So they retired in 2010, so they would have been about 31 when they retired. So it's fairly young. Well, in today's standards. Okay. Interesting. Next clue. I can't. I, I have no idea who it is right now. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I. I don't even know. I'm assuming it's a man, but it could be a woman. So we'll see. I defeated Andre Agassi at Wimbledon in 2002, which was my breakthrough season. So they broke through in when they were about 23. Okay, so that's a male player, right? Okay. Uh, oh gosh. <laughs> um, I've got four mm. more clues and oh, I think okay. it'll get Keep, a little yeah, bit there's easier no from way here. I'm going to know this right now <laughs> okay oh I mean I have someone I'm sort of thinking of but I really don't think they retire because of a motorcycle accident but next one I played and lost for my country against Great Britain in the Davis Cup World Group qualifying round in 2002 Oh, I thought you were going to say 2007 because I was at that match with Croatia. I mean, sorry, it's not even Croatia. Is it? I'm thinking of a Croatian player. That's why I'm assuming it's Croatian. But sorry, it's it's 2002. They played against Britain in the qualifying for the World Group. And, and sorry, what did this player do? They lost or they won? They lost. They played okay. three times. Right. And lost them all. And, uh, well, sorry they lost the i think they lost two one one okay sorry their team lost their team lost okay the player i just was thinking of like a couple of clues ago was mario ancic but i really don't think i don't remember hearing anything about a motorcycle accident um wrong and i don't know if he played with a single-handed backhand so okay that's why i was going down the croatian thing in my head but that's not correct Next one. Next clue. <laughs> I was the first player to beat Rafael Nadal at a Grand Slam. Oh! First player to beat Rafael Nadal at a Grand Slam. What was his first Grand Slam? Oh my God, I should know this as a Rafa fan. Is it a South American player? Oh, is it an American player? Oh. Any ideas? Know. Any ideas? I don't I've know. I've got two more clues. I've oh, got two I'm more really, clues. I, I'm not good with old players. Uh, I mean, they're in the Federer era, right? Because they would have been around... Nicholas Lepenti. Wrong. Oh. Next clue. Next okay. clue. I was the first Asian men's tennis player to reach the top 10 rankings in the world, reaching a career high of number nine. Oh, blimey. Okay. Um, oh, it's not... Oh, I know who it is. I, I don't know if he got up to number nine in the world. Is it the Thai, the, the Thai guy? Uh, Sharitsafat. Sh- how would I say his name? Yes, it is. Paradorn Sh- Shrikafan. <laughs> well, how would you say his surname? <laughs> pa- Paradorn Shrikafan. Oh, okay. As soon as she said Asian, I was yes. like, oh... I remember now him playing Rafa. I mean, I wasn't like a fan at the time, but I remember reading that they had played um, at a slam. Oh, that, that's a good one. That is a good one. Was there another clue just out of interest? The final clue was I was born in... I was born in Thailand was quite simply the final oh, okay. clue. Um, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good one. I shall look forward to getting my own back on you next time with a... A suitably yeah. <laughs> hard 
uh, mysterious player. <laughs> and 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 listeners, if you got that way before Kim did, let us know on Twitter or on social media uh, at Passing Shot Pod. You know, did you get that from date of birth alone? I'd be really super impressed. Um, but uh, yeah, or did or did the British fans? Did you get him after I said uh, he played against GB in, in Davis Cup? We'd love to know. Um, but uh, yeah, Kim, I'm looking forward to already next week. Come on, you're gonna have to probably give me a tricky one, give based on that. But um, but yeah, let's kind of move on to some listener questions and comments. Um, we've had a few people um, get in touch with us um, about our ATP Fan Favorites podcast, which you can listen to um, on uh, on all the kind of your podcasting platforms out there. Uh, we had Liz from London say on the subject of Malik Yaziri. I saw Yaziri play at Bolton in March 2010 in Davis Cup. He played both the singles and doubles. He played a lot of tennis. He was ranked about 300 at the time and was Tunisia's best player. Fun fact, I arrived and he was the first person I saw in my hotel. What a Uh, welcome Liz got from that hotel then. (laughs) Also, he must still be Tunisia's best player. So, as you said, he's a Tunisian (laughs) legend. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Yeah, he's been Tunisia's best player. Best player, Although, worst player, probably only player. Yeah, well, I know. Uh, Joel, Phil uh, from Australia said, I had a bit of beef with you, I think, when you <laughs> called Steve Johnson a budget Marty Fish in the last episode. He said, I can't believe you called Steve Johnson a budget Marty Fish. My love for him came from being courtside when he broke down after beating Corwich at the French Open shortly after his dad passed away. So show some respect. Yeah, there you go, Joel. I mean, I... I I've yeah, been put in my place, haven't I? You yeah. have, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> listeners, if you've got anything you want to get off your chest from the tennis world or want to ask us any question, uh, please remember you can let us know on social media or email us at passingshotpod at gmail.com and we will uh, let you know our thoughts and maybe give you a shout out on the pod. Right, so let's get back to the tennis world. What else has happened this week? Well, I think the biggest news outside of kind of on-court uh, goings-on in Canada is Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal have joined the ATP Player Council, which, Kim, is very interesting because there's been a lot of, you know, I feel like there's been a lot of hoo-ha about this council. I think we've seen players resign from it. I know Jamie Murray was one of them. And um, it kind of left some spots available. And we've had Federer and Nadal, along with Jürgen Meltzer, uh, may we add, join it. Uh, Novak Djokovic is on there. And yeah, it's very, it's, it's, very, it's very interesting. Now, you know, you've got the big three kind of looking, I guess, to kind of, you know, pull their weight in the, you know, in the board, in the business room. You know, can they work together? You know, we know Novak Djokovic was probably, you know, wanting to get rid of Chris Commode, but Roger and Rafa kind of have, have his back. You know, do they kind of feel there's like a moral duty there to kind of, you know, steady the ship a little bit? You know, yes, you know, they're kind of greats of the game and they feel like their kind of presence should extend to the boardroom. What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, as you said, a moral duty is, is a good way of putting it because it's not just about what they do on the court but they're such iconic you know figures they are along with Djokovic the three best tennis players we've ever seen in the men's game you know arguably so they need to think beyond what you know the present day what they're going to leave behind the legacy and what they can do for tennis as a sport that's given them so much and that they've given to the sport so I think personally I'm I'm in favour of of this move I'm glad that they've stepped forward and my only concern I guess is that you know they're the top three players that are now on the board and in any other sort of situation I think oh would that be a bit like elitist to only have like the top guys leading the way and making these decisions but I think they're all I mean I think you know Roger and Rafa are both incredibly fair and down-to-earth individuals in the sense of I know that they are aware of the kind of discrepancies and injustices within the game and the fact that players at at the lower level just are not making ends meet and that they have to sort of make changes downstream to kind of structurally change things and get the prize money up, you know, increased for all all the players 
at the lower levels and it, they can't just be representing the top the top guys so I think in a way having the most influential players on the council is good because if they've got that influence they should hopefully be able to influence the relevant stakeholders to make those changes that are needed downstream yes and I think it was interesting because I think there is a debate like it, a lot of people seeing this as very good you know kind of yeah steadying the ship uh, for you know the men's game but I know that there are some people who kind of are thinking particularly with uh, someone like Roger Federer where you know maybe you know is there an argument that he has a sort of conflict of interest you know should he be on the board because you know he has like you know he has um his own tournament you know with the Labour Cup does that affect things you know I, I don't think it's an eight is it an ATP tournament I don't know is it ATP endorsed isn't there ATP ranking points that is going to be given from it now so I think technically it, it it is I mean yeah I do think there's a conflict of interest but I would hope that Federer would kind of put that aside and not just you know be on the side of the tournament directors and 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 such like for the rest of the tour I think there's is there always going to be some conflicts of interest whoever you have like it's just it's difficult to know I mean I would be interested to know who else had put their name forward to to replace those that had had stepped down I mean do you do you know who else who else had done so I mean I'm not too sure myself. So if anyone does know, please tell us. But um, it will be interesting to see to see what's going to happen going you know going forwards with 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 now the top three on the board. Um, it's yeah, I think I think it's good that they they're there personally because I think you know they're both kind of nearing the end of their careers, aren't they now? So mm. it's time that they try to make the most and give back while they still can and, and be actively on the board. Yeah, I think it's certainly a sort of ins- almost kind of ensuring, I guess, their legacy and making sure that, yes, they're doing all these brilliant things on court, but making sure it's structurally sound off court as well. Um, if if any of our listeners actually have any thoughts on, on this issue, because I know it's kind of opened up on, on social media, please let us know uh, again on social media at Passing Shot Pod. Um, on Twitter um, it'd be good to get kind of fan fans thoughts on this um, but moving on let's kind of look forward Kim next week to Cincinnati where we've actually already had the draw take place now I know you've had a look at the men and women's draw what was your what are your main kind of what are your main thoughts in terms of the men's draw yeah well the men's draw is quite lopsided perhaps you've got Federer and Djokovic in the the top half of the draw which I think many people would agree that is the heavy sort of top half it's also featuring Medvedev, Hachinov, Tsitsipas, Kyrgios, Fognini so a lot of players who are in form and obviously Nick Kyrgios is dangerous and he might he might face Novak in the quarterfinals if they both oh, get that I'd far love, I would and love of that. course Novak's never beaten Kyrgios has he that. so <laughs> yeah and Kyrgios has pretty much uh, pretty much has said he hates Novak hates Djokovic him. on social media so uh, yeah, yeah uh, and I then, would love I would love that to happen yeah I know so bottom half we've got Rafa and then he's got Nishikori Zverev and team as the other sort of big seeds in in his 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 half so I mean, I think Rafa could do pretty well at Cincy as well with that. Edmund, as we mentioned earlier, has got a shocking draw. He's He's got Medvedev first round, so um, pretty tough one for Kyle. And do you know who else has a shocking draw? Once again, what is going on here? Grigor Dimitrov versus Stan Wawrinka in the first I know. round. It... I know. <laughs> what? It's insane. Two tournaments in a row, and this is like the fourth or fifth time in the last year that they've faced each other, most of which <laughs> has been in the first round of you know of the draw. So the tennis gods, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Uh, we've also got, I mean, Shapovalov Fognini, that for me stands out as quite a tasty first round. And also Vadasco Benoit Pair might be quite interesting. Um and obviously, we've got Andy Murray back in action in the singles, much to everyone's yes. uh, interest. He's He's got Richard Gasquet or Richard Gasquet in the first round. And he's also going to be playing doubles with Feliciano Lopez again, um, I believe. So 
he's uh, yeah, going to be back on a singles court for the first time since the Australian Open. Yes, and he's already announced that he's going to play tournaments I can't pronounce in Asia. Is it Zhuhai? Zhuhai and Beijing. So that and that announces his intentions to play the Asian Swing, where he has been. You know, he's had he's picked up titles there in the past. So uh, yes, but um, does that mean he's going to play the U.S. Open if he's playing Cincinnati singles? Do you think he's giving himself a run up to the U.S. Open? Well, we did ask some of our listeners this question when we heard the news. Um, so we had a couple of responses. We had Lynn Knott saying that, you know, it does feel a bit soon. Uh, he's not exactly easing himself in, you know, going, I guess, straight into a Masters level tournament. Uh, but she said if he doesn't plan to play the US Open, then the timing is a bit odd, which, I mean, I agree with her because... I thought he had originally said that he would return after the US Open and people were saying he might return at the Murray Challenger in Glasgow at the end of September, which you might think is a more appropriate level for him to return at. Uh, Mad Martin also said he was really surprised at the news, uh, but I guess he knows if his body can take it, but a Challenger or 250 might have been a better option to come back to. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think we had a lot of a lot of people sort of maybe thinking it's it's a bit too much too soon. But I mean, at the end of the day, Andy Murray knows his body, and maybe he just kind of was you know he's played quite a few doubles tournaments now, and he just wants to get back out there. So why the hell not? If Cincinnati are going to give you a wild card, go for it. He might lose love and one, but if he feels healthy in the hip, that's the main thing, isn't it? And he does, he does have a fantastic record against Frenchmen. So I'm fully expecting, well, I hopefully he will come through Richard Gasquet. Um, and yeah, let's kind of, I'm, go, I'm approaching it open-minded. I mean, I kind of, I'm kind of happy to see him back on the court, but there is a part of me that's kind of like, come on, I want you to just have another, you know, like at Queens where he had a dream run to the doubles title. Mm, I just want yeah. him to have a dream run in the, in the singles. <laughs> In the singles, but this uh, time next week we'll be like Andy Murray, crowned Cincinnati men's singles (laughs) champion. Most unlikely, that would be like the greatest return to the sport, maybe ever. Exactly. Uh, But yeah, also the draw for the women out in uh, Cincinnati. Pretty interesting matchups again. I mean, it's just ridiculous some of the first round matches that we're going to get. We've got Sharapova against Alison Risk first round. And the winner of that could face Barty in the second round. So, you know, Risk beat Barty at Wimbledon. So that might be quite an interesting matchup should that happen. Uh, also got Contivate against Kerber. So I'd actually go for Contivate for that one, given Kerber's mm-hmm. poor form Definitely. at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Azarenka Bencic first round. Madison Keys Ooh. against Garbina Muguruza. Sakari versus Georgie. Yeah. Ostapenko versus Putintseva. That's going to be a feisty one. Um, you know, <laughs> That's no, no love it? loss there. So pretty mad. <laughs> and Serena Williams might face Sophia Kennan in the second round as well. So also a great, great. that would be a great matchup, particularly in the United States. Um, yeah. I think yeah. that would be very, very tasty affair. Just on Madison Keys, Muguruza, almost I feel like two players searching for form who you know are both desperate for a victory and and again they they'll be looking both looking at that and thinking that's very very winnable um we've actually already had some matches take place in Cincinnati i think first round qualifying started today yesterday um and yeah not great so far for for the brits um we've already had Cameron Norrie and Dan Evans lose. Uh, as Kim said earlier, Norrie went out to Dennis Cudler um, in quite an routine fashion, um, frustratingly. Dan Evans lost to Cole Schreiber as well. Bit of a topsy-turvy one. He lost 7-6, uh, 1-6, 6-1. Uh, surprise, surprise, Bernard Tomic retired 2-1 down first set to Andre Rublev. He only managed I mean, three games. Feel- oh, that's a pretty shocking one, even for Thomas's standards, <laughs> is it not? Yeah. Citing oh. a, a shoulder-to-shoulder injury. And um, yeah, also uh, Jack Sock, also um, on the comeback trail, not having a, a good time at the moment. I don't think he's picked up a, a win yet. Um, he went out to the top seed, um, Kukushkin. Um, yeah, not won a singles match in, in 2019. 
And uh, yeah, he it's you know it's a it's going to be a long road back for him if he wants to make it back to you know where he was at, where you know winning the Paris Masters and being in the you know in the World Tour finals. It feels it's going to be a long road back, isn't it, for Jack Sock? Absolutely, yeah. He's had a pretty shocking time the last uh, two years. Um, yeah, we've got a lot of our kind of uh, WTA fan favourites going well as well. So Matic Sands. Uh, through in the first round of qualies, Lauren Davis, Anjabur, Petkovic, they're all through in qualies. And talking of uh, our fan favourites, we will be releasing um, sort of uh, sometime this week our part two of our our recent Extra Slice episode on fan favourites. So we um, we released last week our ATP fan favourites. So these are all the players that we we love to follow, despite the fact they will probably never make it big or achieve sort of notable greatness but uh the players we love anyway so uh for example we had uh michael kukushkin talk of the devil um and some of our wta favorites uh we just mentioned petkovic matic sands and a whole host more which we'll be unveiling uh on our next extra slice pod which will be released shortly yes and uh yeah watch out for that because yeah i think we'll we'll be releasing it during cincinnati um and yeah, we will be back for another catch up uh, at the end of next week, uh, looking back on Cincinnati and looking forward to the week before the US Open. So we hope you can join us then. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed listening to this episode, feel free to give us a rating, give us a, a comment on um, on iTunes if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts. If you've got any questions for the show as well, remember to email us in passingshotpod at gmail.com. Or if you just want to get in touch with us, uh, you can do so on social media as well. Uh, We're really active on Twitter, again, at passingshotpod. But in the meantime, thanks for listening and goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.